when you're doing a video job fair or a video interview, you have to make sure you're in a good place and you're dressed professionally. There was a woman I was talking with on a video conference interview at a job fair. All of a sudden I hear some bird chirping and she goes, oh, that's just my parrot. And I'm like, oh, that's nice. And then the parrot flew and was on her shoulder. And so for the rest of the call, I just kind of looked at the bird. I was directing conversation to her, of course, but it was kind of distracting. So if she was really, truly looking for a quality conversation, she should have secured her bird. Welcome to Security Cleared Jobs, Who's Hiring and How, the podcast for cleared professionals looking for new opportunities and career advice. We go behind the scenes with recruiters and hiring managers from leading cleared employers to uncover the information you need to make a smart career move. Get ready for insights from this week's guest and your hosts, Kathleen Smith and Rachel Bozeman. Welcome, everyone. This is Kathleen, and I'm happy to be here with you. And hello to my co-host, the most wonderful, Rachel. Well, hello, Kathleen, and hello, all of you lovely folks out there. This is going to be an amazing show, so be ready. Today, our guest is Molly O'Boyle, Talent Acquisitions Project Manager at OBX Tech. Hey, Molly. Hi there, ladies. How's everything tonight? Great. Fantastic. Now, Molly, we're just going to get right into it. So I want to talk to you a little bit about your title and a little bit about your day job. So we know your title says project manager, but yet you also get to play in the world of recruiting. I think primarily kind of in that in-person job fair. What's the deal, my friend? What's going on there? Rachel, thank you for asking. I did start in recruiting. I started as a part-time recruiter. I guess I was here three years or so, and we won a very large contract. And I was looking at that point to get into more full-time work with the company. And it just so happened I ended up working on helping that transition team for this particular program, which has about 140 people. And after that, I got into a new applicant tracking system doing research. And it started it started that I was doing less and less recruiting and more towards the project side of things. So all of a sudden people are saying, oh, that's something Molly can do. Let's give that to Molly to do. Let's just do it that way. And I'm thinking, that's okay. I mean, it actually keeps things really hopping. You know, I don't have many days that are the same. Plus, I get to talk a lot still. I like to talk. Being a recruiter, you like to talk. And when it comes to the job fair thing, that's under my umbrella too. So I... I do the scheduling of job fairs and making sure that we keep our budget in line. I also do um, staffing for the job fairs, making sure everybody has an opportunity to go. So I'm, I'm kind of like a coordinator. I like to be in a place where I get people places. That's always kind of been what I, I've done career-wise. That sounds great. And, you know, I love seeing you at our job fairs and you always have a great team and you always have some great energy. So I think that's great. So OBX Tech has grown a lot since you started with them in 2014 from 250 employees to over 600. Seeing that growth must be interesting. Tell us a little bit more about what it's like being part of a growing company. Well, that's an interesting point. Because we are a government contractor, we grow by getting different and more contracts, larger contracts. And when I started, we had one contract out of that about 250 people. One contract was about 120 of those 250. So we really needed to branch out. When we started, we were a service disabled veteran small business. So 
we had access to a different contract vehicle. When you go over 500 people or you get a contract value worth over a certain dollar amount, you then move into large business. So for the last two and a half years, we've been transitioning from small business to large. And where we used to be the prime contractor, because that was the contract vehicle we used for the small business to be the prime, now we're often working with other companies who are small business primes and we are their sub. So things have changed a lot. We've got a whole lot more infrastructure at our headquarters in McLean, Virginia. We've got a whole lot more people handling HR, more people in accounting. So the back office has grown quite a bit also. And in that time, our business model has changed where we now have centers of excellence, where we all just used to everybody was everything. Now we have broken it out into different groups and we have specialists that run each of those. So it's definitely been a growing a growing opportunity for everybody in the company. Now, I need to ask you, where did the name OBX Tech come from? The Outer Banks of North Carolina. The abbreviation is OBX. So it just so happened that the two of the founding partners were on vacation in the Outer Banks. And that's like where Hatteras, Nags Head, uh, Kitty Hawk, the whole Wright Brother thing, where they um, started. So they said, okay, well, we're in OBX and, you know, we're doing technical work. So that's how it came up. If you look at our, our website, our logo has the X has like a, a blue wave. And then there's drops at the end, kind of like it's, um, it's at the Outer Banks where the, the waves come in. It's awesome. What a cool story. And you kind of touched on it a little bit, Molly, but you do have six centers of excellence and a wide variety of prime contracts for cleared professionals. So if you don't mind sharing with us just a little bit more about some of those cleared positions and where they're located. Sure. We actually have contracts all over the country. A majority are in the Washington, D.C. area, but we have a fair number of cleared positions at Hurlburt Air Force Base, Duke Field. We had have had many in Florida at Patrick Air Force Base. We have jobs in North Carolina. We have jobs in Texas, California. Actually, one of our contracts is with the Army Corps of Engineers, and there may be just one or two positions that require a secret clearance scattered and wherever there's a division of the Army Corps of Engineers, and we have help desk support for them. So it just so happens that right now we're doing a very large push with with logistical contracts, and those are stationed all over the world. It could be South Asia, it could be Europe, Africa, and CONUS and OCONUS. So CONUS means continental U.S. OCONUS is outside the continental U.S. And I had to be reminded recently that Hawaii is outside the continental U.S. So it's on a different salary structure of the 48 contingent states. That's why rates are a little bit different in those places because they do the higher cost of living and all that sort of thing. That's great. So something else that I know y'all are doing at OBX Tech is the Air Force Acquisition Program, where you always have some cleared opportunities. Could you tell us a little bit more about those positions? Sure. This Air Force Program is the one that I came on full-time to work with. It's with the security of the Air Force, um, which is called SAF, and acquisition is AQ. So everything has abbreviations. But the staffing, it's called, we call it STACS, S-T-A-Q-S-S, which is Staffing and Technical Support Services. So our people work with the Secretary of the Air Force in acquisition analysis. We have a lot of program analysts. So a lot of people think that acquisition is the same as logistics. 
And logistics is more supply chain. It's getting items from here to there. With acquisitions, it really is a lot of analyzing budget, analyzing costs, making presentations to the Secretary of the Air Force, preparing documentation that may go to Congress, being in some high-level meetings. We also have some admin on on that particular contract. But we're four years into a five-year contract, and so far, fingers crossed, it looks good for our recompete, which will start up in January. The positions on this contract often require people to have specific Air Force experience. I just was speaking with the the deputy program manager just today about this, and he said certain groups truly want Air Force experience, but because there's aircraft in the Navy and there's aircraft in the Army and in the Marines, these groups are having to realize that those employees bring a lot to the team, and they just have to be open to learning about aircraft mechanics and aircraft parts and how they can be efficient. Because if they've done it for one, they can do it for the other as long as they know that aircraft. So as you can imagine, it becomes a very tight market when there's so few people who have that experience and are on the market. Sometimes in recruiting, we end up matching cleared candidates to open requisitions and helping them realize that they're qualified for these positions. So you want to talk a little bit more about how you help job seekers realize that they are qualified for some cleared openings? Sure thing. And it's a skill to be able to coach candidates. Now, we work an awful lot with transition, uh, the TAP offices, transition assistance programs at different bases. It also is called like family services, depending on what base working with people who are transitioning out of the service. So we may have a 10-year person who's transitioning. In fact, the deputy PM I just mentioned, his first job out of the Air Force, he transitioned to work for us, and now he's been promoted. We also have executive-level people who have been very big in the acquisition space for whatever group. They need to realize what they're capable of. So there's an awful lot of coaching that goes on with candidates. And you mentioned, like, let's say we meet somebody who has skills and we know they would fit in that program, but we don't have an opening quite yet. We do work with the the program managers to get to know who these candidates are because we want to make sure that they remember we are not one of the big four, the big five, but we are a small company where people can feel like they're a, a bigger part. They can walk down the hall when they come to headquarters and, and meet the whole C-level people, the, the president, the COO, the CFO, we don't have multiple, multiple layers involved. So we try to bring that differentiation to candidates who are coming out. And hopefully we can meet their salary requests. And, you know, again, a lot of it is coaching. So we want to make sure that the qualified people stick with us. So you had a really nice quote from earlier when you said management has figured out during the pandemic that people will get the job done even if they don't see them every day. Let's talk a little bit more about your remote opportunities and how OBX Tech is managing that process. Interesting question because during the pandemic, we've all had to learn something. We've had to learn how to adapt. We've learned how to be flexible. Now that things are coming out, as I've said this for quite a while during the pandemic, the government has a lot of real estate and they don't necessarily want it remaining empty. They want to see people. However, people have been getting the job done remotely. Certain clearances, not a possibility at all. They need to be in a top level skiff where 
that's the only place where that work can be done. So as we've been transitioning through the last two and a half years, we've been working with our customers. Can these people work at home? How much time do they need to be in face-to-face in person with the customer? It has gone from 100% remote on a number of our DOD contracts to, okay, two days in the office, three days remote. Well, as you might be aware, Rachel and Kathleen, there's a lot of people who are like, sorry, I just want to work remote now. Well, I think people in the cleared community realize that it's going to be pretty rare that they will have a 100% remote position for long term. So we are prepping candidates by putting statements in our jobs, our job descriptions. If the job is a hybrid where it's part at home and part at the office, if it's full time in the office, there's there's one of our help desk positions for treasury, for example, zero work from home the entire pandemic. They have had to be on site and filling those positions for a while was difficult. But for people who are qualified and who have the clearance and who want to work, we have been able to keep people employed the whole time on, and fully staffed on that particular program. So a lot comes from management, and that's that's management of our company, um, like for our headquarters office, saying, hey, the work can get done remotely. And then on top of that, we have to work with the management on our programs and the government, the contracting officers, the the core, the contracting officer representative who wants to see people. You know, we have uh, multiple layers of, of management we have to work with in um, walking the tightrope of hybrid. So you recently won a contract at Scott Air Force Base and have experienced some changes. Can you talk about that from the OBX tech perspective? This year, we have won two contracts that have required us to transition incumbent employees. One of them was a union contract. Unions have set structure for salaries. Each position is a certain rate. Boom, there you go. So we were able to transition people quite easily. And that was one of those special forces positions, uh, contracts too. So it was great. The people want to keep working. Fantastic. The one at Scott Air Force Base, it gave the people an opportunity to say, hey, now it's a contract renegotiation, even though you've won it. Now you negotiate with me as the incumbent. And so let's see, I'm going to take your job and let's see what happens with it. And many, many people came back and renegotiated their salary. Well, the company that we won the program for has now won another contract in the similar area. So these employees that we have are now going back to their last employer. So our manager there is working very hard at keeping people there, making sure they're they're happy, finding out what the difficulties are they may be having. So it is difficult to, sometimes it's easy to get incumbents on, on board and sometimes it's difficult. It just depends on the structure of the proposal and how competitive our salaries are. Absolutely. And something else that we wanted to chat about was something that's really important for candidates is for them to be able to see themselves fitting in with the company and culture. It's not just about the job, but it's about where they're going to be able to perform the functions and and all of those different pieces. So we know that you've got two employee support groups um, there, and we would love for you to share a little bit more with our listeners. The first one, Veterans Resource Group, and the second is that Diversity Resource Group. 
tell us a little bit more. Spill some tea with us. Okay, so it's really interesting. The Veteran Employee Resource Group. So what we're trying to do, attempting to do, is to inspire conversation amongst the veterans. Maybe if we have a brand new person, like I was mentioning, the, the deputy PM, when he first transitioned out, maybe it would have been good for him to speak with some of the senior vets to see how they managed, what kind of things were a concern for them. We're trying to get new perspective on issues that concern them also. The people can suggest opportunities for interaction with other vets. But one of the things we do is we do bring in guest speakers. First, the guest speakers generally talk with the program managers at a PM summit, which we have semi-annually, and it gives them an opportunity to see whatever issues might be coming up. And then it often gets pulled to the, the regular community where the the rest of the company, when I say regular community, I mean the rest of the employees can also get to hear the speaker. Oftentimes those speeches or those talks are recorded so that people can hear them later. One of the key things they do, this group, is provide volunteer opportunities um, with groups who support veterans. One of the groups I know, particularly because my husband was on the board, it's called Medical Mercy Angels. This group supplies transportation for veterans and their families to get to medical appointments. Many of the people on in this group are private pilots. They'll fly people short distances. They may connect with other pilots along the way to get people to specialty appointments. And we support a gala there. And this is, our, I think, our fifth year for doing that to help raise money for this, this effort. We do a number of things like this, which it really makes people feel valued that, that we are supporting their community. So that's, that's the HR one. The Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Program, the DEI, really what we're offering here to employees is education and training from speakers. Again, last year we had a fellow come and talk with the managers, and it was so well received. It was a talk on microaggression in the workplace and how you can just, you can say something that can be interpreted numerous ways, unconscious bias, that sort of thing. It was so well received. We had, I think it was six different sessions that employees were required to go to. So it became required training for all employees. And we have a training system. It gets sent out um, a notification saying, please choose one of these. And again, it starts a conversation. And many employees may not think that this is affecting their fellow employees or their or their government coworkers. I mean, who knows? Or their friends. It's becoming aware of things. So not only to, to create a more balanced workplace, but to help the current employees understand what it means to communicate with the diverse population of coworkers. Awesome. Really awesome. So I love seeing you at our job fairs and you recruit at a lot of in-person job fairs. So tell us how a job seeker can really make a good impression on you at a job fair. Kathleen, good question. One of the things that people have come to accept in the pandemic era is virtual job fairs. So there's two different types. You've got your virtual and you've got your in-person. When you're doing a video job fair or a vi video interview, you have to make sure you're in a good place and you're dressed professionally, obviously. I, I did mention this story recently. There was a woman I was talking with on a video conference interview at a job fair. All of a sudden, I hear some bird chirping, and she goes, oh, that's just my parrot. And I'm like, oh, that's nice. And then the parrot flew and was on her shoulder. 
And so for the rest of the call, I just kind of looked at the bird. You know, I was directing conversation to her, of course, but it was kind of distracting. So if she was really, truly looking for a quality conversation with all of the people she had scheduled 10 minutes apart, she should have secured her bird. As far as in person, dressing professional does not mean shirt and tie anymore for gentlemen. It doesn't necessarily mean fancy dress clothes for women, but it does mean clean and appropriate for a business environment. In the era of QR codes, a lot of people aren't even bringing their resumes. They're scanning QR codes on a sign on each each of the vendor's tables, and they can immediately go straight to the careers page. We have that now when we go to job fairs. Or they may have their resume by QR code, and we could just get it that way. It's just, it's a different world out there. But you want to, they have to be prepared to talk about the company and what they know. One of the last job fairs I did, I had a gentleman come up and said, I'm looking for this, this, and this. And I thought, fantastic. You looked at all of the information that was in the brochure. You looked at us online the night before, and you were able to talk with us about the types of positions we have open. And it becomes more of a dialogue and not talking to each other. You want them to ask questions as much as we ask questions. And a lot of times talking about salary doesn't even come into play at these job fairs. You want to make sure the skill sets are correct. So that is really a key. So Molly, between us girls, between us recruiters, let's talk about what we really like to talk about. Those misspellings on resumes, the things that keep us up at night. Tell us a little bit about some of the fun you've seen on resumes. When you talk about, in particular, misspelled words, I've been in recruiting a long time. I used to literally toss a resume that had misspelled words. I don't quite do that as much anymore. But the the reason you use MS Word or any other software package is it will tell you that you have a misspelled word or that that doesn't make sense or your punctuation isn't right. It really shows an attention to detail. I will tell you, we recently had a tech writer resume that came through and it was solid text. There was no white space at all, just paragraphs and paragraphs. And the manager said, I'm not going to go through this. The first page, I found a dozen mistakes in typos. So it's kind of like, what do you call that? Um, Word salad. Let's see how much I can put out here. Let's just go for it. And I'm sure something's going to come up on their keyword search. So not a good idea. Just like when you look at a job, you want to see the white space. You want it to be attractive, easy to read, bullet, bing, bing, bing. I will say also, anybody who's looked at how to write a resume should know that you don't use the word I in a resume. You just don't. You could say, I led a team. Well, okay, but okay, whatever. Just say, led team. We have, in the government contracting world, we have funded positions and we have contingent positions. So on the contingent side, those resumes have to all be formatted to fit what the government expects. So if there is a word salad in there, it is just, it's going to take way too long for our tech writers to 
sort and edit and filter through what's on there. It's just, it needs to be very concise. And I mean, everybody wins. Molly was such a hoot and so informative. And I absolutely appreciated learning more about their employee resource groups and how they're not just, you know, really that surface level places for people to connect and just chat, but going above and beyond, making sure there's content, making sure there's a network in ways that they can really feel like they have a seat at the table within their organization. So I just loved learning from her and really what she had to share about her employee resource groups. I don't know what about you, Kathleen, but what did you love learning from Molly today? Well, Molly always brings it real as far as what job seekers need to do to impress her or her recruiting team at a job fair and, you know, really doing the research. We we talk about this all the time, but it's amazing how many people walk into a job fair or click into a job fair, a virtual job fair, and don't do any of the research and prepare their questions and they just sort of show up and and let it fly so I really appreciate her you know saying it's time to get prepared when you're going to a job fair absolutely and whether you're driving in your car cooking dinner or maybe listening to us while you're working out we are so glad that you chose to spend some time with us today so just 10 more sit-ups my friend but thank you so much for listening to this podcast hopefully you loved it and you'll go out there and subscribe rate and review us 